I'm going to go from Philippians 1.27, 2 through 11. Uh, I'm just going to read that really quickly, and then we'll delve in. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So in connect groups, which a lot of you are a part of, you know that there are different roles. Um, One of the ones that I like doing is illustrator. And so just when I was reflecting on this verse, um, I decided to to sort of illustrate something, and I don't draw because that would be wretched. I I write uh, poetry um, because I fancy things that rhyme, so it's that kind of poetry. So I'm just going to read that uh, to, to start out. This is what came to me with this verse. You asked for courage, but God gave you fear. The horns of battle bellowed for bravery, yet you shook and clattered in the rear. Called to stand up for the weak, you became quiet, timid, meek. And when they screamed, it was a distant, daunting shriek. For you were far away. To stay would be precarious, too dangerous a way. Better now to let the sheep just go astray. Because you asked for courage. But God gave you fear. The horns of battle bellowed for bravery, yet you shook and clattered in the rear. Yet still the voices of the weak cried out in voices loud and luring, and deep within your bosom a shout. Was it courage stirring? But fear still lingered, strong as ever. The strength you felt was close to never. But the world is broken, no use fretting. Why stand up? When the whole world is sitting. Because you asked for courage, but God gave you fear. The horns of battle bellowed for bravery, yet you shook and clattered in the rear. And if you went to heaven and you asked God why, God on your knees trembling and started to cry, He would take your head and hold you near, saying, Courage is the belief that something is more important than fear. So when you asked for courage while waddling in the rear, I showed you what was important. Then I gave you fear. If you didn't understand what I was trying to illustrate there, it was just that courage is not the absence of fear. It's the belief. It's it's the position that something else is more important than it. Right, Because if, if you're not afraid, how could you possibly have courage? Courage is when you conquer that fear. Um, so that was my illustration for that. Um, and, and one of the things that you'll learn in doing youth ministry, I know that Chad knows, and uh, I did some youth ministry as well, is that stories are incredibly effective 
when talking with kids. I had, uh, and it makes you understand Jesus' position as well. Uh, When you read the Bible and Jesus is like, all right, I got something incredible to tell you. This is going to be great. So everybody come here, come here, come here. There was this farmer, right? Right? Or he'll be like, so like ten virgins were doing this thing. Or there's a candle, there's a house, whatever. So it was stories, it was narrative, it was parables to, to teach something profound. And what, what's incredible is oftentimes Jesus didn't even need to explain it. He just told the story, and they knew. Um, so uh, Chad told the story of um, the dog, right, where he had a dog because um, he loved dogs so much. Whatever, I'll regurgitate it really quickly. He had a dog. He loved dogs so much. Uh, so his parents went out and got him a dog, right, and he brought it home and put it on the counter, and he killed it, of course, and opened it up, and he was just, like, looking at the intestines and all the insides, and it was really fascinating just to learn about the intricacies of the dog, right, and how cool those parts are and how it all fits together, right? <laughs> but you killed the dog. And, and the point is that oftentimes when we try to dissect something in such intricate ways, we have to kill it. And the most meaningful parts of the very thing that we're studying get lost. The dog's obedience, the dog's love, that relationship, right? Um, Steve Sherwood, uh, who was one of my professors, did Young Life. And he observed this sort of phenomenon when he was with uh, youth kids. Uh, Basically, the first week of Young Life, you would bring all the kids uh, together, and, and so many of these kids don't know, don't know anything. They don't know any of the, the Christian stories, right? And so the first week, all they do is tell stories. You know, this, this is the story of David. Or uh, one of the ones he reflects on was the story of Hosea, which is um, Hosea is told by God to go and marry a prostitute, and the prostitute just keeps running away and doing horrible things. But Hosea is is told you need to keep chasing after her. You need to keep going. You need to keep persevering. You need to keep getting her back. No matter how much it hurts you to see your wife do this to you, you need to keep chasing and do not relent. And then the youth pastor just looks at the kids after telling the story of of Hosea who just kept chasing this prostitute. And he said, That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. Now let's go get some ice cream. Right? That's all all he needed to say. And, you know, it's like, whoa, wait, what's that mean? How's it work? You know, you have to explain it, right? And that's kind of the philosophy of young life. They're like, okay, so the next week we'll kind of explain how it all works. But the kids that first week are loving it because they get it. They hear the stories and they're like, yes, I get that. God loves me that way. That makes sense to me. And then they're like, the next week, let's talk about substitutionary atonement and the theological ramifications. Okay, I guess we'll talk about that, right? So they'll like put this table and they'll put this glass, something glass that will shatter easily, right? And, you know, the youth pastor has a hammer. He's like, you are this glass and God is this hammer. Right, and he just wants to smash you. 
and, and if it comes down, you're going to shatter, right? So here it comes, and the kid's like, no, don't do it. You know, like, this is going to be crazy. And no, this bucket, bam, 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 hits the bucket. That's Jesus. You don't get smashed. Of course, what's bad is when just the vibrations actually do break the glass in there anyways. You know, and the kids are left with the message, well, Jesus, he tried, though. He did try, you know. But, and, or, or the chairs that, you know, you were facing God and then now you're facing a wave and Jesus came and did this. And they're just, so then when you go back to their cabins, instead of saying, wow, those stories were great. I get that. I love how Jesus did that for me. They're like, I don't get it. This is weird. So Jesus is God and, and God was mad at us and he, and Jesus, and then the, and the bucket, right? Jesus became a bucket. And then the chair, yeah, and then it turned around, and so I think the chairs were mad at each other. And, but it's, it, and you, you try to dissect it, and you know what? You might get the point across, but at what, at what cost? The most profound thing, you know, Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world for us. And even if we don't know exactly how that worked in in the intricacies man is that profound that the god of all the universe came down and died for me for me that's profound and that's meaningful and i don't i don't know that that needs much deep analysis especially when you're trying to talk to kids about it and so um in that spirit i don't want to get way into all the details of this and the nitty-gritty. I want to tell some stories, and then I want to tell you kind of how I think that really applies to the Christian life. You know, And I'm not going to uh, tell you the deep theological ramifications or talk about substitutionary atonement or the hypostatic union between Jesus and the Father. Right? That doesn't make any sense to you. Um, so let me, let me try to illustrate... This passage, um, with some of the things I've heard, some of my own experiences. So, great story. Me and my friend Pat were uh, walking home. We were uh, freshmen in high school from the movie theater in Sherwood. And we had just got done watching The Ring. If you know what that is, it's a scary movie and there's a girl with long hair that goes over her face and it's like, I'm scary and it's super scary. Um, And we're walking home in the dark, right? It's super late and uh, we're talking about anything, not the movie, anything other than the movie because we both know exactly what each other's thinking. Like, I'm so scared. Why are we walking home? We should get our ride. Where's your mom, right? so we're we're walking home, and then we uh, we get to the area that we have to traverse. We have to pass through in order to get to the lighted area. Uh, it's a way shortcut to our house. We kind of and it's a park, no lights because they I guess they didn't do that then. Put lights in parks, that would be weird. Um, it's pitch black, and we kind of pause, like oh my gosh. We're going to have to walk through that. Uh, So I go first, of course, and uh, I don't remember. Um, 
but we're walking through, and there's a bridge that's coming up that goes over this small creek. Um, we can barely see, and I, I get this nagging feeling, this very, very, very scary feeling that we're not alone. Right? There is something out there. You know, like you're hearing like the crack of twigs and stuff. And I'm trying to talk about anything like, yeah, I love Jello, and uh, I eat all kinds of stuff all the time. And, you know, and he's probably saying stuff too. We're not listening to each other, but we're both talking. And then I, and then I start saying, because there's something out there. You know, Pat, I'm glad that I brought my knife with me. I, you know, it's just good to always carry that good old knife on your side. And uh, no, he doesn't, doesn't connect with him what I'm doing. He's like, what? You didn't bring a knife? What are you talking about? I'm like, no, you know, the knife that I have with me, I brought the knife. He's like, no, you're being stupid. You don't have a knife. Why are you saying that? So it wasn't going to connect. And so we're just about to cross the bridge. And I, and I say, Pat, I was just saying that because I thought, and before I can finish that, literally something in the creek is just like, <laughs> right, something, Leviathan, something huge, comes out of the creek, explodes out of the creek. I don't know, because I was gone. Literally, I was just, no, right? And I just run and run and run and run until I'm literally, I'm almost home and I'm checking my pulse like, oh my gosh, where's Pat? Right? And then fortunately he's coming right up behind me. But I, I ran for like five minutes. I ran for five minutes and I didn't know where Pat was. Unfortunately, he did the same thing. But it, it got me thinking, like, literally, Pat could have been on that bridge getting eaten alive, right? And, like, one of his ribs was just, the monster was using it to floss, right? And he was just gone, and I'm like, I'm glad it's not me, oh, my gosh. And uh, it made me realize, to turn this story around, <laughs> how selfish I am when I'm scared. How selfish I am when, when my adrenaline gets pumping. I didn't even care. Like, Pat is my best friend. I love this guy. But if there's a monster, I'm gone, man. You can deal with it. Uh, we don't know what that was. It could have been like a toad or something. But it would have been a big toad. And I don't, I don't want to be that type of guy who when fear is at its pinnacle, when it is, it is really strangling you, when it, when it forces you to just lock up and, 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 and tighten and just think in the, flighter, the fight or flight way, I don't want to just leave that which I love and then, and then once I'm away and safe, look back at the remnants and say, man, that's bad. You know, I want to be the person who says, no, not me. I will, I will stand. I will fight for what I love. And so a story of that 
um, one of my favorite. Roy Ponto, 1999, Indonesia. It's largely Muslim. And uh, he goes to this, he's, he's a kid, right? He's probably early teens. And he goes to this Christian camp. Um, and it, he had a blast. Great time at this Christian camp. And at the end, um, the leaders have to drive into town to, to procure transportation for all the kids at the end of the camp because they don't have enough vehicles. So they're going into town to get some vehicles, but the leaders get stopped. and The kids don't know. They're still at the camp waiting. And, and it was a dangerous idea to have a camp, um, a Christian one. But the leaders get stopped by these Muslim extremists. And they get forced out of the vehicle. And, and finally, you know, they admit what they were doing. And so the kids are still at this camp, just waiting for a ride. They had fun. And all of a sudden, all of these Muslim extremists come. And they start saying, denounce what you've done here. Denounce your belief in Christ. Denounce your faith. Denounce it. Or we will kill you. Right? And, and many of them do. They're scared. Man, that would be scary. My life? Or just say some words? I can say some words. But Roy Pontau, maybe using something that he learned, I don't know. But they come to him and they say, Denounce your faith or we will kill you. And he is trembling. He is scared. But what he says is, I am a soldier of Christ. Right? I am I'm a soldier of Christ. And then they kill him. Right? But he was courageous. He was courageous in that moment. And these are our stories, right? We have so many Christian stories. Not just the ones in the Bible, but Roy Ponto. That's one of our Christian stories. Another, I mean, there are so many. You think about the um, 16-year-old girl in in communist China, who um, their their church gets raided because they have house churches because the the state-sanctioned churches are just bogus, and uh, the soldiers rush in and and start saying, you know what, you need to come and you need to spit on this Bible. And you need to denounce your faith. And so many of them do. You know, one of them goes and, and, and grabs the Bible and just, I mean, I don't, maybe some spit came out, just did the motion and, and so quietly said the words, but it was enough. They let her go. Till finally, this 16 year old girl goes up and, and says, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry what they did to your word. And she cleans it off with her hair. Right? Kind of echoing what the prostitute did for Jesus and cleaning Jesus' feet with her hair. I'm sorry. And they kill her. 
So many stories around the world of, of martyrs like these. Our own, of course, the first Stephen the martyr who gets stoned for his belief in Christ. And he, he says, Lord, I give my spirit to you. And then he sees Jesus standing at the right side as a vision as they stone him. You know, and you think about David, right? Who's like David and Goliath, right? There's this giant guy who's like, I challenge anybody. And he's just like, what's this? And he's running through. And he's like, who's this guy who's coming up against the living God? Give me a rock. Give me a rock. I'm going to get him. That takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of faith. But those are our stories. And if, and if I were you, I think what, what I would be thinking right now is, yeah, but what about, what about me? I mean, what about, what about me in, in my position? I'm in the industrialized, developed West. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting raided and, and stuff like that. But I, I think that it applies, and I think that there are at least three ways that courage, um, having courage at the face of those who oppose you, um, really applies. And number one, I think, is, is dealing with uh, what I'll call the moral quagmire. Um, and that means that one of the biggest things that is being challenged today in the West is really what our morality is. What's right and wrong? Do we have the courage to stand up for, for Christian ideals, Christian virtues in the face of an um, increasing tendency to just sort of ignore what's right and wrong? Um, since I like to write, one of the things that I wrote um, for um, abortion, right? So... so Many people, even even Christians nowadays, are thinking, you know, well, is it is it really wrong? There's so many circumstances where I think it could be okay. I've been in the college classroom. I know that there are professors who are saying you need to really grapple with this, and I'm like, no, I don't. I know, I don't need to grapple with this, you know. And one of the things I wrote to one of my professors during undergrad was this. I have no idea what came of it. I just gave it to him. Um, Here's the poem. This one I got in my head. All the unborn babies around a table up in heaven, piously enjoying grape juice and bread without the leaven, talking nostalgically about their warm days within the womb and all the things they would have done had not life ended so soon. Then one stood up, high and proud, and in an honest infant voice, talk softly of that fatal day. His life became a choice. Good and fellow children, faithful fetuses and embryos, who is it that gets to decide when it's human life that grows? They talk of distant places and how unfairly millions have died, but here we are in growing mass. An unspoken genocide. That's what it is. 
And, and, and we're asked to seriously consider the moral ramifications of things like this. Or um, the new one that's coming out that's uh, being discussed a lot is NAMBA, the National Association of Manboy Love, asking the question, how young is too young? Right? That's a real moral question that, we, that is now being asked. How young is too young for, you know, uh, men to love young children or vice versa? (laughs) What? Seriously, what are we, what are we talking about? But, but it's becoming increasingly difficult to really delineate Christian morality from world morality because we're participating in this. I mean. The divorce rate for Christian families is exactly equal to the divorce rate of everyone else. It's like if, if our foundation is Christ, shouldn't we look different? Differently, to use the adverb. I don't want to mess that one up. But, you know, I think a lot of it also has to do with the sort of mentality that we have when we go into it. It's a uh, don't do this mentality. I mean, when you're growing up, it's like, okay, so Christianity 101, here's what not to do. Right? Christianity is about can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. But if you have ever seen the sign that says, don't touch wet paint, you know the temptation, or at least I do. It's like, don't touch wet paint. (laughs) Yeah, it is wet. It's like, what is the natural tendency to see a sign that says, don't do it? Why not? It's still wet, yeah. Or don't step on the grass. That's weird, why? Right? Yeah, my whole foot's gone now. Okay. Well, that's what we do. It's like, in the family, when when you have to tell, like, kids what not to do, in every single one, you have to say, trust me. It's like, there's something wrong there. When you're like, hey, don't eat poison berries. <laughs> trust me. And, uh, and don't try to bare knuckle box a Kodiak bear. Trust me. You know, but that's kind of, I mean, I, I, mean, I think about my grandpa who always told my mom, like, don't smoke. So bad for you. But we, we're, we're kind of doing that. We, we live our lives uh, in, in ways where we, we try to be the people who know, right? We don't learn from the mistakes of others. That would be weird, right? We've got to make our, our mistakes so that we can tell them not to do it. But it's, it's the cycle of, well, I mean... You gotta learn for yourself. So you gotta you gotta repeat and repeat and repeat and it's just something's wrong there. Something's wrong with that cycle. Um which I mean it brings me kind of to my second point, which is I think um not only do we need uh courage um when it comes to opposition like that, but we need courage when it comes to ministry. Um I I think that fear is an interesting word. I mean, I think the, the best way to describe it now for us 
the, the sort of sensation we get uh, when it comes to opposition is embarrassment, um, uncomfortable, maybe. You know, yeah, I, I think of you know the the opportunities that I have to tell somebody you know about Christ, and it's like, oh, this is my chance, but it doesn't feel right. I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable, right? I don't want to feel weird. So we don't we don't do it. Maybe we're nervous, we're uncomfortable. That that's the sort of fear that we get. And then we have the world telling us, you know, it's their life. They get to do what they do, and if they love it, then who are you? You know, it's like seeing this roller coaster and someone's on it and they're having a blast but you you're seeing the big picture and you see dude there's like a chunk missing and this is gonna die but you know they're having fun they got on it and they're having fun so whatever i I mean if you're seeing the big picture and you know that this roller coaster is headed for destruction does it matter how fun they're having does it really matter I think you kind of have a responsibility to say, by the way, I know you're having fun, but it ends with you dying. And uh, it's not going to be pretty. You know, there are appropriate ways of uh, doing this. Um, So my brother has schizophrenia, and one of the things that he likes to do now is uh, randomly yell at people, (laughs) which is cool. He'll say... uh, Hey, Jesus loves you, loving God, Raymond. Right? Just we're walking out of the movie theater. Hey, you need Jesus. Get it? Do you have Jesus? Do you have Jesus? Okay. You know, he opened our door out outside of our house and was yelling at people going by. Hey, Jesus! Jesus loves you. It's like okay. I mean, that's probably not the most effective method. My dad put it this way, because my brother's like, Dad, how come uh, you're not shining for Jesus? And my dad's like, well, you know, I am. I, I want my light to glow, not glare. Because there's a difference. Right? It's the glow, not the glare. You know, when you take like the... Uh, you're playing a joke, you have like a watch or a mirror or something in the sun, and you're like, shine it in somebody's eyes. And I'm like, oh no! Right? That's the glare, and you don't want your faith to glare at people because that's not going to invite them. That's going to make them shut their eyes and walk away and say, you're being mean. That sucks. Stop it. My goodness. But if you come to somebody and, and you know, you... Build a relationship because, man, love is fostered through relationship. And you come across as, you know what? I love you. I have your best interests in mind. And and this thing that you're doing, it's not right. It's not good. And I say it because I love you. Right? We have, If that's uncomfortable... We need to be willing to be uncomfortable. And I think that kind of ties into the last part that that passage says, which is weird. You're like, what? It says, 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. That's kind of being embarrassed, being uncomfortable. If that's the, the suffering that we need to do now here in the developed West, if that's what it is, you know, it could be worse. It is worse in places. But we need to be willing to be uncomfortable. To suffer in that. I have had some very uncomfortable conversations. I'm an introvert. Right? So I'm in my I'm in my brain, you know, and when I have to come out and say, So, hey, how are you? <laughs> I don't know you, but right, it's totally uncomfortable for me. Not like Chad, who is bombastic and you know, whatever. Um, but I don't want to miss an opportunity. And I've missed a lot of opportunities. I, you know, one thing I remember, I was driving home in Wilsonville, downtown Center Loop, and there was this lady tipped over in her motorized scooter and just flailing for help. And do you know how many people just drove by? It's like she's in the crosswalk, tipped over, and you're going around her. She can't get up. I was I was tempted to be like, yeah, I hope she gets help. Shoot, I'm going to be late to work, right? And you think, and you think maybe that's kind of what it was like uh, with the 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 parable of the good Samaritan, right? Where there's this Samaritan and you have this Leveret, um, Levite, and this uh, priest that all walk by on the other side, and you think maybe the priest you know, was late and he had his sermon delivered and he was like, yeah, 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 I know he needs help, but I have a responsibility to this congregation. I need to get there, you know. So maybe we use our responsibilities as excuses because it's way, way more comfortable for us to do what we've had planned than to do maybe what God has planned. Because we don't, we don't really know what God has planned sometimes until it hits us in the face. Right? And it's so much easier to say, well, I got this scheduled and I'm going to be late and they'll be mad at me and getting someone mad at me is a sin. Right? <laughs> don't miss an opportunity. Don't miss an opportunity to, to be that force for Jesus. And sometimes, you know, when it happens when I had uh, a gentleman at work, I'll call him Joe, who just had so many things going on in his life. He felt broken. He felt shattered. And, oh, it was so hard for me to just say, you know, maybe you should come to church with me. Right? That's what it felt like. Like I could, church is a word I just said. Right? Right? Why not? You're feeling broken? You're feeling hurt? I have something. I have something that I think will work. And I, and I want to introduce you to that. Because the path that you are on now leads to destruction. You don't need to say it like that necessarily. Because that might be glaring sometimes, right? The sign, you're going to hell. Right? That doesn't always work. Um, but it's, I love you, 
I want to be in relationship with you. Um, and I have, I have something that you might, you might like, that might change your life, that might help turn around that brokenness, that might help piece back together those feelings. And I don't want to miss those opportunities. So I'm glad. I, I, the only reason I told you that story about the, the wheelchair thing is because I did stop. Or else I wouldn't have brought that up. That would have been like, that would have been the black book story that I never brought out, right? That I just thought about when I was sleeping and cried. I can't believe I did that. Um, and, but then there's a last, uh, uh, a last point. I have time. Um, and that's we also need to have courage um, in faith. And that's, that's hard. Basically what that means is that we need to trust that God really does have our best interests in mind. One of the things that my mom always tells me, I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to do this. There's this. I got all of this on my plate. I can't believe this and that. And she's like, did you pray about it? No. Well, pray about it. My goodness, you have all these problems in your life. You have all these things that you're, you're worried about. And you're not going to the one person who can really change it all for you. Who can make it all make sense for you. You're sitting here complaining about that and you're not praying? No. So stupid. Right? That's what my mom always says. Did you pray about it? Or she'll say, you know, there's power on your knees. And the only reason she says that is because when I was like four years old or something, she couldn't find her keys. And so I got on my knees and I prayed, Mom, find your keys. And, and then she reaches into some random place and pulls out her keys. And I say, Mom... There's power on your knees. There's power on your knees. And so now that has been the motto that she gives to me every time I have a problem. Right? God, I'm thinking like athlete's foot. There's power on your knees. Right? I don't know, but I'll, I guess, you know. All the time. But it's true. I don't know that you have to be on your knees, but I know that there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. And if we just have faith that God has our best interests in mind, it's so much easier to endure that suffering. I told you how um, my soon-to-be brother-in-law, it was my wife, uh, my uh, not my wife's fiance. Um, my sister's fiance died randomly in a, in a car accident. And suffering. It's, it's so real. It's so raw. And just to be a part of it and to, to witness it. It's so hard. But to know that suffering has been granted to us, it's, 
It's like, I got a present for you. Suffering. Huh? But we got to trust that that feeling, that hurt, that pain, that brokenness, that God is going to use that for something. We've got to have faith. And in, in moments of brokenness like that, I'll tell you, it's hard to have courage. It's hard to, to, to think that God is going to do something. All you're thinking is, God, why, how could you let this happen? Right? And I'm totally into like philosophy of religion, but you realize how stupid that stuff is in moments like that. Because if you go to somebody who's suffering and, and they're like, why is God doing this? And you're like, well, Alvin Plantiga had this great philosophical treatise where he said, it's like, what? No, that's, that doesn't work. I mean, to be present with people in their suffering, to just be there, that works. And that takes courage for me. It's hard for me just to be present with people when they're hurting, when they're suffering, because that's, that's hard. But you know what? We need to have courage to be uncomfortable. We are, we are literally called to mourn for those who mourn. That might be hard. That might be uncomfortable. But if, if, we, if we can't even be there for each other as Christians... How in the world can we expect to be rocks for the world, right? How can we expect to be that sort of foundation where people look at us and say, man, I I want whatever they have. If we're not morally different, if if we don't do ministry, if we have no courage and faith, how are we different? What would draw the world to look at us and say, I want what they have? You know, and, well, what do they have? I don't know. Looks the same, but they meet every Sunday, which is cool. That can't be the only difference. That can't be the only difference. They could say, you know, they have these. These moral standards that are out of this world. And they work. They work. And they love when they shouldn't, it feels like. They forgive when it seems ridiculous. And they care about me. You know what? And when when they're struggling, when everything seems wrong in their life, they're like happy and they have faith or something. Not, you might not be happy. Scratch that off. But you still can have confidence or faith that, you know what? God's going to get me through this. One last story. One last story. So, uh, Gary Ridgway, you know, anyone? He was the Green River Killer, suspected of killing over 71 women. And uh, you got to be ruthless, heartless to do something like that, right? And he is sitting stone-faced in the courtroom when the 
uh, families of the victims get to come up and say stuff. And of course, they're mad. They're so mad. I hope you rot in hell. You are the worst human being ever. You are a demon. You are the devil incarnate. You are the worst, most wretched person ever created. I hate you. I hate you. You know, one after another, one after another. And then there's this guy who looks like Papa Smurf uh, comes up. Robert Rule is his name. And he says, this is hard for me. This is hard for me to get up here and do what's right. You hurt me. You took my daughter. I loved my daughter so much. And that's hard. But what's, what's really difficult here is to not say that I hate you. Because I don't hate you. I forgive you. I forgive you for what you did. I forgive you for how much you hurt me. I forgive you for all the hate that you had. For all the malicious stuff that you did. I forgive you. It's hard for me to stand up here and be a Christian. But I forgive you. I think that's courage. I think that that is courage. To say, it's hard for me to do what is right. It's hard for me to get up here and represent Christ because I'm mad and I'm hurt. But it's the right thing to do. I think that is courage. And I think that is ministry. I think that's ministry when we can show people that we are different. And when it hurts the most, when it's hardest, we still stand up. We don't run away and leave our friends to be devoured by monsters. We say, no, not me. I will stand firm. I'm out of time, but if you get anything out of this, one, I think our Christian stories are so profound that Ridgeway, that's a Christian story. Sometimes all we need to do is tell people them. We don't need to tell them, hey, this is the theology of all. Here's the Christian story. Isn't that powerful? We need to have courage to say it. We need to have courage to, to minister to those that we love. Right? We need to have courage and faith to know that at our hardest moments, when it would be easy to fall away, it would be easy to run away, that God is there. He has granted us those moments. And He's going to do something with them. And we've got to have faith in that. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank You so much for this opportunity to just um, 
share my heart, to share the Christian stories um, that we have and to just talk about what it is to have courage. Courage in faith. Courage in, in ministry. God, I just... Um, I pray that You would... You would grant us courage, God. And that we would know that it's not going to eliminate the fear, the uncomfortability. It's not going to eliminate our nervousness. But God, that You would show us that there is something that's more important than those feelings. And that we would be willing to step out of our our boxes. That we would be willing to be uncomfortable. To be nervous. God, that we would be willing to, to suffer for you because you've granted us that and i just thank you so much um, for the people here who i know um, are living lives like that god and and that you would um show uh, all of us opportunities in our own lives where we can do it better and i just thank you so much for this time and we love you in your name amen